the phone rings. And I go to pick it up. It was one of those times in my life where I, I wish I wouldn't have picked up that phone that I, I could have just continued in the college. I, I, I wish I would have chosen not to pick up that phone that day because my life was about to change and it was about to change in a way that would affect my relationships and how I lived my life for the rest of my life. Welcome to Was I in a Cult? I'm Tyler Meesom. And I'm Liz Iacuzzi. You ready for a little more Kung Fu fighting, Tyler? Hi. Absolutely am, Liz. I'm ready for some spinning high kicks. I stretched out my glutes. I limbered up my hammies. You got to do that at this age. I have some Bengay ready for the sore muscles that will follow. How about you, Liz? You ready? No, I have COVID. Liz has COVID. I'm so sorry, Liz. So I apologize for anything that sounds nasally today, guys. I know uh, all you hear is my voice. You don't get to see my face, but... Or if she says anything stupid or makes any bad jokes. It's because of COVID. Or the sarcasm level is too high. It's because of COVID. But only for this episode. My Chicago accent may come out a little more with the nasal. Hi. I have COVID. I'll look forward to that. Eh. Regardless of COVID, we have a job to do. And that is to tell the great story of Russell Johnson. Yes, today is the second part of Russell Johnson's incredible story into and out of a martial arts cult. Now, many wouldn't necessarily put martial arts and cults together, but this story is a perfect example of what makes a cult a cult, how one martial arts center is just a school while another is a cult. And in this case, it's all about the leader, John C. Kim. Now, a little recap. So Bruce Banner, I mean Russell Johnson, is in extreme pain from his abnormally bulging arm muscles. And the higher-up trainers that were going to, quote, heal him weren't going to be in town for a couple more days. So on the third day of living with this excruciating pain, he snuck to the hospital at three in the morning. And when the doctors told him he had compartment syndrome and needed emergency surgery or his kidneys could shut down and he could die, he tried to leave. Why? Because if he had the surgery, members of Chung Mu Kwan, his group, would find out. And he was desperate that no one from the group find out because he didn't want them to think he didn't have faith in the master and teachers. As that would have been a sign of weakness. Fortunately, the doctors wouldn't let him go. They were stressing the importance of surgery and they wanted him to sign a consent form which would allow them to operate. But Russell was so afraid of the ramifications from the group, he first needed the leaders of Chung Mu Kwan to tell him it was okay. And eventually his trainer Keith comes to visit him in the hospital. As soon as he walks in and I'm laying in the emergency room in the bed, I try to sit up in the bed to bow to him. He, he told me not to. Keith contacted the national instructors and they finally relented, allowing Russell to go into surgery. 
Some people die from compartment syndrome within a day, within 24 hours. I, I was going on like 72 and I was lucky to be alive. I don't know like if I'm going to lose my arms, if I'm going to wake up with a couple stumps. But more than worried about waking up with no limbs, he was worried that I was going to lose my opportunity to be a Chumaquan instructor. That was the only thing on my mind. Then I thought, well, if I do die, maybe I'll get buried in my uniform. Thankfully, he didn't have to wait any longer to have surgery, but he may have benefited from doing it a few days prior. So what had happened is when they cut me open, my arms exploded like hot dogs. I mean, they literally, they, they, they exploded. And then they, then they had the gauze me up. And they couldn't sew me back up because they couldn't put the pressure back on my arms. So for five days, my arms were open in the back, draining like that for five days. Again, those pictures are on his website and are not for a weak stomach. No offense, Russell, but holy shit, are they intense. No, do not look at them before lunch. Or after, or during, or 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 after. (laughs) Or with your eyes open. just don't. <laughs> So two additional surgeries, a lot of gross discharge of fluids, and 16 full days later, Russell is released from the hospital. But proper rest was not in the cards for our main man. I got out of the hospital on a Saturday, and I returned to the school on Monday to teach class. Uh, I couldn't move my arms, so I had to have other assistant instructors put me in my uniform and when I was teaching class the only thing that I could do was cross my arms and have someone else demonstrate the movements that was in so much pain it was the type of pain that that fucked with me mentally I was told that John C. Kim was going to have instructors show me a form to help my arms heal and what it the form was was holding my arms out straight for long periods of time, which was very painful. And it angered me, especially because it did nothing but put me in more pain. So I I stayed in the school and I continued to teach classes. And in September, I had tested for black belt that year. And he finally passes after so many years he had achieved black belt. But... By the time I made black belt, I was in the worst physical condition of my life and i passed black belt a lot of it was that uh they knew who they were going to pass and who they weren't and then one day he gets a call telling him to go to the house where the instructors live because a very special guest was there who who is it who is it wonder who it is i wonder who it is so excited who is it gonna be i was finally gonna meet john c kim I, i i knew with every part of my being that I was about to meet the second coming of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And when I got there, there was like a procession line of people getting to meet Kim. And when I I, I got up there, the first thing I recognized was the permed hair. And so he, he had this permed hair and he had this mustache, this porn mustache. And all of a sudden, I, I, I go from like thinking I was going to meet the greatest martial arts master I'd ever live to having a vision of him in a beauty shop in curlers getting his perm. 
Sounds worse than some of my old online dating reveals. Oh, please, Liz. I had one guy who, you know, he lied about his age, which is fine. Whatever. I can handle that. Simple. We all do that. He said he was like 5'11". He, you know, he was sitting at the bar when I showed up. He stood up. He was like, definitely 5'6". Fine. Whatever. I mean, you know, a few inches here and there. Yeah. We've all done it. It's all fine. And then he turns to me and he goes... So we can sit here or we can sit over there, whichever you want. Oh, no. they, have, they have space in the bar or they have space in, in the restaurant area. And I was like, oh, what? That can't be your voice. And it wasn't like, it was like his balls had never dropped or something. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was terrible. So he was, was in a perpetual state of Mickey Mouse. What, whatever, like, what's a voicist? I officially became a voicist in that moment. It became uh, uh, bigoted against uh, voices. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. If you need to see your future of him talking seductively to you, yeah. sounding like he just sucked on a helium balloon <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every he's morning. Like, he's like, I've been really avoiding this online dating, but then you walked in and I was like, oh, I'm set. And I was like, dude, <laughs> you are not, there's nothing set. Oh. <laughs> uh. Poor guy. I hope he's found someone with bad hearing. (laughs) So at least he didn't have a perm. He may have had a perm too. And I would have probably been okay with that. (laughs) The real perm master, John C. Kim. This man who could run faster than cars and he could sit on a bed of nails unharmed. Turned out to look like a wannabe Eric LaSalle from Coming to America. Ooh, good reference. And perhaps maybe he was... Mixed a little bit with LL Cool J and Run DMC. Kick it! He had a gold chain. He had diamond gold rings and bracelets on. He had a, one of those blue Adidas jumpsuits on with the stripes going down it. And then he had snakeskin cowboy boots. I'm looking around, and I, I look at my instructors, and all of them have perms. And all of them have the mustache, and they all wear Adidas. So the great LL Cool John C. Kim started in on an amazing martial arts demonstration. (gasps) Finally, he grabs a wooden sword. And he did all these movements by my head, and then he, he went and he stopped right by my nose. And it was cool, but it wasn't like, here's the guy that I was told could jump off a 11-story building, an 8-story building. And these were the type of things I was expecting to see. Former followers were told he had supernatural powers. Many believed it. When he was in the room, you could see aura, a halo around him. His powers were phenomenal. And then he took a group of instructors and he lined them up in a row. And then he went and... He ran at them and hit the first one with his stomach, and then all the other ones flew back. And it was kind of like the same thing as a tic-tac pendulum. You hit the first ball and the last ball, and, the, and it was such a bizarre showing of the martial arts. And I'm like, and the fact that he had a belly, and the, what they told us the reason that he had a belly on him was that that's where he, all, he kept all his nagong power, that if you have this power you store it in your stomach... More like where he stored hot dogs and beer. And refried beans. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) (laughs) And I have like all these questions in my mind. The perm, the, the demonstration, the whole outfit. 
And I go back in the school and I tell the instructors who weren't there, the lower belts in the, the glory of Kim and how miraculous he was. And, and I, I continued the lie. When there was a part of my head that knew, that questioned everything, that part of my brain that became numb to questioning things. One day while I was training, a couple of other assistants came up and they saw my scars on my arms. And they told me that Keith, the one who had ordered me to do the push-ups, had used me as an example of what happens to a student who went to the hospital instead of the school for help. One of the national instructors asked me why I went to the hospital, that why I didn't believe that they could cure me. And then other instructors started asking me the same question because I didn't wait. Now it's considered what they called missing. Missing is that you're mentally missing, that the part of your brain is defective. Missing. I like that. I'm going to start using that. You know, after having a kid, I'm definitely missing. <laughs> yeah, you're missing sleep and missing friends and movies and missing peace and quiet. Missing taking a shower on a regular basis. <laughs> right. Missing going to the bathroom all by myself. <laughs> That world has passed, Liz. And now that Russell was missing, the leaders, they were considering a different instructor position for him. So the, there was a couple different types of instructor. There was the instructor who taught in the school, who taught students. And there was an instructor who worked for a Chumaquan-owned business. I, I was started to be considered for another position outside the school which was called an direct instructor, and I w was selected to work for a printing company. Like many cults, this one kept Russell very busy and very tired. So in addition to teaching school, he was now working at the company printing press and a department store and was the janitor at the Yorktown Mall in Adena, Minnesota. That's a great mall there. Oh, yeah. They got that gap over there. Oh, yeah. I think they got a Bed Bath & Beyond, right? No, Bed Bath & Beyond's no longer. It's going out of business on Wednesday. Oh, that's too bad. Those coupons aren't good after Wednesday. I wonder if they're having a sale. You know, I like supporting it, though. Like, I don't love to do the Amazon thing. It kind of scares me, the Amazon thing. I was the janitor at the Yorktown Mall in Edina, Minnesota. And so... What would happen is I would go after the mall about 2 o'clock in the morning and I'd be done. And then I'd go and I'd sleep in the parking lot. I was so sleep deprived. It was just crazy. I was getting to the point where I started questioning things. Yippee! I started to like getting a little disruptive with the other assistants that I was living with. So I went and I lived on my own. It started giving me that time. To, to contemplate things. And then me and my, my friend that I helped in junior high school, he had passed me up, and he wanted me to be his assistant at, at the school that was opening. He was my higher belt, but I didn't look at him like I did the other higher belts because of our upbringing. Even though, like, once he became my higher belt, we were no longer friends. We were higher belt and lower belt because that's the way the system worked, and I didn't... I think it angered me a little bit more even at that time. I felt betrayed by my instructors. And, and so I had to call the school. And I, I, again, I said, hello, head instructor. This is instructor Russell. Be right to ask 
if it's a, anything I can do for school. And then he said no. And I said, Bright, to say, ask if you self-care for anything. And he said no. And then the last question, Bright, to step into school. And after I asked that question, I was told that I had permission to come into the school. A question he had asked hundreds of times before. Only this time, for some reason, it didn't sit quite right. Maybe it was the pain in his arms. Maybe it was one of those rare, spontaneous aha moments. But as he thought about walking into the school, years of memories started to flood him. Years of working hard, of obeying the leaders, of giving them money, climbing the ladder, hoping one day to run his own school. While the leaders kept adding more rungs and moving other people ahead of him. And it just all boiled to the surface. And then, boom. It was like a shutter going up. And as I hung up that phone or slammed that phone down, I literally said out loud, fuck it, I quit. And I lower all the shades. I turn off the light. I I was having a breakdown. I was literally having a psychological breakdown, and I didn't know why. You know, I I had an issue with rage when I was a kid, and I was I was filled with rage. I was I was filled with anger. I was frightened. I, I was a lot of different things. But Bruce Banner didn't hulk out that night. He stayed inside where he thought he was safe. But then that night, they came. Not to harm me, not to hurt me, but to bring me back. It was a secure building. But they were outside yelling out my name. I I curled up in a blanket and I I hid in the darkness next to my bed. I I had to change my habits. You know, I I, I couldn't go to the places that I used to go to. Yeah, I, I lived in fear a lot. So he locked himself away, hiding in his apartment. It went on for like six weeks at different periods. They'd show up. They came again, knocking on the windows in the middle of the night. It was dark out. I'm I'm hiding and I'm scared. They preach violence against those who left, who detracted. Chung Mu Kwan has an ominous term for those who quit. And that's what they said to me when I left is you are walking dead. I had to keep my phone unplugged. As soon as I plugged it back in, it would start to ring. And then I was paranoid about going anywhere. I was afraid that I would run into them. And then at the same time, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I keep a roof over my head? So to make ends meet, he gets a job at a plastics factory, loading thousands of pounds of plastic every day. Now, you got to imagine that I almost lost my arms a year and a half earlier. It was one of the most excruciating things. I'd get home at night, and I could just lay there, and and I couldn't move. I was in, in so much pain. But in addition to the job being beyond his physical limitations, Russell wanted more from life. So he started getting back into school. school. I, I signed up at Minneapolis Technical College. I started taking accounting classes, small business classes, photography classes. I had a direction that I was looking at for my life. And then my brother and I opened a restaurant together in North Minneapolis. I was going on with my life. I had a direction, right? I was back in school. I had a restaurant. I had a business. So life was looking up. Chung Mu Kwan was in his rearview mirror. Bruce Banner was getting his life back on track. And in 1990, two years after he had left the group, he applied for reconstructive surgery on his arms. I go and I have the surgery. And so, again, they they cut me open. 
and then they stretch the skin and they're still unable to connect the fascia tissue. And so my muscles still making contact with my skin and it's still very painful. And so it's the next day, right? My arms are in gauze and I'm pissed off because like I'm in a lot of pain. The phone rings and I go to pick it up. It was one of those times in my life where I, I wish I wouldn't have picked up that phone that I, I could have just continued in the college. I, I, I wish I would have chosen not to pick up that phone that day because my life was about to change and it was about to change in a way that would affect my relationships and how I lived my life for the rest of my life. Here's Russell, post-surgery number two. Arms in pain, wrapped in gauze, and the phone rings. I go to pick it up, and it's my friend that I went to junior high school with. He joined Chimuquan as well. He told me that the schools have been through a lot of changes and that they're not as strict as they used to be and that now that they're franchising them out and there's an opportunity to me for me to return. So we, we agreed to meet and we meet at a restaurant. I went in there and I, I, I unloaded because I had two years to think about it. I was pissed off. I had a lot to say. And I wanted John C. Kim to know that I had went to the school for help and I was told to wait. And I, I was angry because I felt that the higher belt instructors, the national instructors, were lying to cover their own ass. For the first time in a long time, Bruce let the Hulk slip out. When I got home that day, I, I went to the phone book and I called one of the best-known law firms in Minnesota because I wanted to sue them. I felt that I was wrong. I felt that they were responsible for what happened to my arms. And you got to understand, I was being driven by pain. I had just gotten out of the hospital, and the only thing I'm given is tying all three, and that, that ain't cutting it. And I'm angry, and I'm being driven by this anger. So I make an appointment to meet the attorney. They take pictures because now I have fresh scars from the new surgery. And she listens to the story, and she tells me that she thinks I was in a cult, but I wouldn't listen because, like, who thinks they're in a cult? You know, if I was in a cult, I'd know I was in a cult, right? This is when the book Combating Cult Mind Control by Steve Hassan comes into play, as you might recall from part one of this story. I read that book from cover to cover that night. I realized that I had been in a cult. I was blown away by it. And he watched the entire VHS that he'd been sent. The news program that investigated Chung Mu Kwan. The final con, this card given to students showing their rank was registered with the Changmu Kwan organization, Asian headquarters. John C. Kim's own lawyer admitted to me that there's no such organization. It doesn't exist. Not that I'm aware of. One of the biggest things that blew me away was that the schools in Asia did not exist. And then the other part that was advertised that he was a retired champion of all Asia. Now, martial arts masters from Korea said that that championship did not exist. John C. Kim, a former maintenance man. School signs proclaim him martial arts champion of all Asia. But martial arts officials say there's never been such a title. 
the whole thing was a fraud. And this ignited a fire under him. He was out and free from the cult, but he now wanted to warn others. After all, he had brought people in. Now I'm on a crusade. And I had a list of all the instructors, their birth dates, their address, their phone numbers. So I started going through that list and contacting people that I thought might have left. I'm gathering information. It's like a ball that's starting to roll and pick up steam. Again, one of the things driving me was I was in pain every day. And that pain made me angry. And, and it had some effect on my brain. I was starting to become obsessive. If you think he was pissed before, watch out. Hulk smash! And I was trying to put my own group of experts together, and then the local director of the Cult Awareness Network, she helped coordinate a counseling conference. So a, a group of about 15 former students came to this counseling session at this house, and CBS reporter Dave Failing was there. Our Dave Failing tonight with more on a school that trades on the name and image of a supposed martial arts master, a man named John C. Kim. His name is John C. Kim. He claims to be the retired, undefeated champion of all Asia. Kim licenses his name to schools across the country, including three here in Houston. Students have spent thousands of dollars to learn his secrets. One said he'd paid over $20,000 to the school, another nearly $10,000. Russell soon discovers that current members of the MOO had learned about the counseling sessions and who was there. And they went, went house to house looking for me. And, you know, that, that instilled in me during my time in Shimaquan that the punishment for what I was doing was death. And so I had in my head that I was going to be killed for what I was doing. This instructor says that when he quit, a supervisor threatened to have him killed. There's a lot of people listening to every word that the higher belts say, and they'd do anything, even kill somebody, if they were told to kill somebody. And I had the fear at night that a shot was going to ring out one night, and that would be the last thing I hear. And I had a two-bedroom apartment that I shared with a roommate, and I fled that night. And... I became homeless that night. I ended up sleeping on couches. I walked away from everything. And then one day, after months of hiding, he had an epiphany. I lived in so much fear, and I had to come ask myself, what is the worst thing they could actually do to me? I don't have kids. I'm not married. And the worst thing that they could do to me was kill me. And... So I thought that if I could actually accept my own death, that I was taking the power of that fear because that's what drove a lot of people in Shemaquan from speaking out was the fear that they were going to die because, yeah, they actually attacked it. So I, I came to the conclusion that if I could accept my own death, that they couldn't hurt me. They couldn't harm me. So now Russell was ready to take the fight to them. And he knew that the pen is mightier than the sword. Especially if it's just a wooden sword being waved around by Run DMC Kim. I went to Minneapolis City Pages, and I told the reporter, Jennifer Vogel, that I could prove everything that I was about to say. 
Uh, bring her the Zachman video, the stuff, and then Jennifer likes it. So they decide that they're going to do the story. Jennifer and I worked for about six months on the article. We waited for John C. Kim's birthday. So on April 1st, 1992, the City Pages article came out. That's when a lot of the schools started to fall. I started getting followed by private investigators. I already accepted the worst thing they could do to me my death. And so there was one day there, there was a white van and it was following me all over. And I just said, well, I'm just going to go do it in my errands. I'm going to run to the gym, I'm going to run to the grocery store. Just let them follow me all over. And they did. I think it was intimidation. There's a, a paranoia of being watched. You know, and uh, I believe uh, there's a possibility that I'm still being followed to this day. It's now 1992, a full four years after he had left and Russell is still gunning to take down this cult. At that point, my, my restaurant's not doing well, and my life in Minnesota has just been hell. I decide that I'm going to move to Vegas, and I got a job as a bouncer in a bar. I didn't like it, so I decided to go back to Minnesota after six weeks. On the way home, my car breaks down in Vail, Colorado. A guy walks up. He asked me where I'm going, and I told him I'm going back to Minnesota. And he's like, why are you going there? There's jobs here, and you should consider living here. So he goes to the local library to get online to find a job, but instead ends up getting hired as a research librarian. I learned information retrieval. And then as I started to do it, I knew right away that I was going to use this for Chum and Kwan to, to, to go after them. And then in the 94, 95, there was a martial arts group called Direct Martial Arts Online. And so I started taking all these records and the interviews that I had done, and then I would post them on Direct Martial Arts. Others started to come forward. And they started sharing their information, and they related to the things that I was saying. And one of the other former members talked about the cash that was being given to the instructors. He testified that the cash was flown to wherever John C. Kim could be, and that sometimes he'd have to tape the, the money, wads of bills, to his body to conceal it. Everything went to Kim, and it was for him. He had a house in La Jolla, the farm in Naperville, the ranch in Tomball, Texas, jewelry, fur coats. That money that we were told was being invested into our future was going to his Vegas trips spending all the money with his gambling habits. And at that point, the IRS became interested. And then shortly after that, they started subpoenaing the people on my list that I gave them. The Illinois Attorney General's office charged the schools with violating consumer fraud laws. And the Internal Revenue Service is investigating whether all those cash payments were ever reported to the government. And then one day, he gets a call from a former member who gives him a piece of good news. He said, John C. Kim had been indicted, along with 13 of his, his instructors, two of them from Minnesota. His name is John C. Kim. His followers once believed he could read minds and even heal the sick. But federal prosecutors say Kim is a con man who lured gullible people into a martial arts program, took their money, and then brainwashed them into a cult. Now Kim is on trial, accused of tax evasion. And on that court day, You'd better believe that Russell was going to be there. Hulk smash! Hulk, go to court! Hulk, fuck up, court leader! 
Well, I was there. I helped point him out. I needed to actually face him in person. You know, I needed, it was closure. All of us believe that John C. Kim was going to be convicted. So I hear I'm going to go face the man that I now considered a monster, that I understood the, the depths of his evilness. And I see him, and that power that he had was gone. The whole persona, everything. You know, I see him with his big, giant perm again. And, and this time, it's like six, seven inches from the top of his head. And then my fear was really replaced with a giggling smirk. Today, as he headed into federal court, he seemed just a mere mortal. Students and instructors at the schools Kim operated claim they took advantage of vulnerable people using mind control techniques that began with martial arts training. One of those students, Russ Johnson, lost $15,000 and eight years of his life following Kim. I see him as a, a cult leader, another uh, phony messiah. I was definitely brainwashed. The first day of the trial, he cried during the trial. and. To me, it reminded me like the Wizard of Oz. So he was the most powerful, most feared, the greatest martial arts master that ever lived. If you cross him, you die, right? And he's crying there. And then during the, the sentencing, he was crying and asking for the court for forgiveness. And he said that he meant to do no harm. This man that ordered attacks, that destroyed the lives of many people, meant to do no harm. Now, after a two-month trial, the jury is deliberating the verdict. It all centers on John C. Kim, who ran martial arts schools and allegedly used mind control to influence students and skim cash. And so Russell sat in the courthouse and awaited the sentencing to be handed down. He dedicated years of his life to exposing the cult, to bringing down the people that had misled him for so long. And when the sentence was delivered... Fourteen instructors from across the country mostly from Chicago, went to prison. Two of them from Minnesota. They all got five years. And as for Kim, well, he had supernatural powers, so he used his big, bad belly to knock down all the guards who were all standing in a row, and he escaped. Never to be seen again. It's been told he lives at the top of Runyon Canyon. <laughs> and he's turned into an eagle, and he pulls buses with his teeth for amusement. No, and... No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Well, actually... He was incarcerated immediately. The motherfucker. At that point, I, I went on with my life. I actually wrote a, my last post on rec martial arts, and I was living a happy, enjoyable life in Bill Colorado. That was my best revenge, was living a good life. But, but I, I tell you, one of, one of the greatest satisfactions that I had was the school that I was injured in. It was the head school. It was the flagship school. And then after it closed, it became like an adult gift shop. Once again, I had entered the school that almost caused my death. But this time, instructors, there was dildos all over the place. <laughs> it, was, it was like the satisfaction and laughter that... I had taken their flagship school, their temple, and then turned it into an adult gift shop. And I think that's how all cults should end up, you know, as shops selling dildos and butt plugs. Mm, finally, cults bringing something necessary and needed. What a story. 
Thank you for sharing it, Russell. Yes, Russell, thank you so much for everything. You spoke out against your cult while it was still active and threatening your life. That's true bravery right there, and hopefully is an inspiration to others. Mm-hmm. And now, the epilogue. Jazzy Kim died on Valentine's Day 2016. And there was no obituary. He died of coronary heart disease. And this was the man who claimed that he was the second coming of Jesus, that he lived to outlive all of us. 2005, I had a reconstructive surgery on my arms. And that time they were able to close the fascia tissue once the pain went away and it never was going up to the head anymore. I'm an executive at a security company. I, I design protection systems, fire alarms, access control. I've been in security for over 25 years. A life spent protecting people. How very interesting. And Russell, does the Hulk come out anymore? I think as I'm getting older, it's actually coming out a little bit more. I have less patience for bullshit. <laughs> I, I, I kind of call it out as I see it. Of course, unfortunately, we can't include all the incredible details of Russell's story on our show. Despite the seven-plus-hour interview (laughs) that Liz did with him. It wasn't that long. It was. It was seven-plus hours you interviewed him and dump-trucked onto me to edit. You karate-chopped that mofo up like the true back belt you are. I sure did. But you can hear more of his own stories and details of his entire experience in Chung Mu Kwan and after on his podcast. It's called Deceived, Deceived Podcast. Go to deceivedpodcast.com for more information and to see pics of Russell at various stages in and out of the cult. Thank you for listening, everyone. Please help support us on Patreon, like our dear supporter, Erica Fritz. And tell a friend all about the roller coaster ride that is Was I in a Cult? Was I in a Cult is written, produced, and hosted by the permed wonder Tyler Meesom. And the tracksuit sporting LL Cool Lizzie Cousy. LL Cousy. <laughs> That's what my new name is, guys. Maybe LL Cool J will want to like team up and uh, do some joint merch. <laughs> Yeah, I would think that's something he desperately needs right now. He's <laughs> call me, just fine, call LL. Me, LL. Call me, I'm around. Yeah, give me a call. Number one fan. Audio editing, sound design, and mix by the devoted student Rob Para. Thank you, Rob. Sand the floor, Rob. Paint the fence. Wax on, wax off. Just edit and make this show good. <laughs> Millions of people have been affected by cults. And experts say all of us are vulnerable at some point in our lives. Almost all cult victims need some form of long-term counseling to help them readjust. They often feel overwhelmed by decisions they must now make in the real world. Some adjust quickly. Others need time to heal. All need support from family and friends so they don't fall back into the clutches of cults and cons. For the Channel 2 investigative team, I'm Pam Zekman.
Thank you, everyone, for listening. And here's the last word. Word. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Liz. Get that all out.